Welcome back to In the Queue Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Phil, and I think Guillermo del Toro has been brushing up on his film history. Oh, I will be curious to know what you mean when you say that. Big time. Oh, man, I'm very curious to hear about this. Uh, I am Andrew, your other co-host, and... I feel like I have a very on-again, off-again relationship with Guillermo del Toro. Ah, yes. Sometimes he's real on. Sometimes he's way off. And how on or off he is, we will find out today on this episode of the podcast. We're talking about Guillermo del Toro's new film, Crimson Peak. Ooh-ha. Uh, before we get into the discussion, though, I would like to tell you all out there where you can find us on the web. You can go to our blog at www.in-the-q, that's the letter Q, dot com. And on our blog, all of our shows are posted. You can participate in the comment section, and you can even leave listener requests for movies you would like us to review. Also, you can do some of those other things on our Facebook page. Just search Facebook for In the Q. Q-U-E-U-E is how it's spelled. Once again, all of our shows are posted. There's a great forum for comments that you can utilize. In fact, we get a lot of our listener requests this way on Facebook. And then Indeed. also um, you can enjoy videos that we post um, for each episode. We like to sort of you know, comment or, or emphasize or bolster uh, whatever the discussion happens to be that particular time and place. Indeed. And then lastly, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes. Just go to iTunes. Just do it. Search for In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. Uh, We are the only one that pops up if you type that in. And you can listen to all of our shows dating back from the very beginning. And you can download them and you can subscribe. And all of our new shows will be delivered to you toot sweet. Toot sweet. So, today's episode, Crimson Peak. A horror film of sorts, a ghost story. Some would even say a story that has a ghost in it, or maybe a couple ghosts. Some some would say that. Um, but the the general sort of overview is Mia uh, Vasakovska uh, plays mm-hmm. a young aspiring author. This is in the late nineteenth century. Um, who? Uh, it's actually in nineteen oh one that the film takes place. Oh. I noticed it on a check. There was a check that was written, and it said 19, and then had a blank space, and they'd written in 01. So we should probably say it takes place in the early 20th century. Indeed. Okay. Um, she uh, she falls in love with a well-to-do British sir, played by Tom Hiddleston, uh, who is charming her, and he's selecting her to participate and be his date and certain fancy events. And uh, her father uh, is kind of protective of her because uh, um, uh, Edith, which is the name of Mia Vasikovska's character, Edith's mother died uh, when, when Edith was a young girl. And so mm-hmm. the, her, her father is kind of protective. And early in the film, Edith is visited by her mother's ghosts, who says to her, beware of Crimson Peak. And it kind of, you know, boom, foreshadowing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. So she ends up going with um, the Sir Thomas Sharp character to their um, uh, outlandish 
home. Um, Back in jolly old England. In, at Allerdale Hall uh, is the name of the mansion. And it's, it sits on a deposit of rich red clay, um, which thematically <laughs> is a good substitute for blood because it looks like mm-hmm. blood, especially when it's covered with snow and the reddish color is seeping through. Um, Sir Thomas Sharp has a very close-knit relationship with his sister, uh, who is played by Jessica Chastain um, in a very sort of creepy manner. Uh, lady Detached manner, perhaps? At odds are they're very close. They're, they're unusually close, and, and her name is Lady Lucille Sharp. Um, anyway, and so throughout the film, Edith is getting warnings about Crimson Peak, Crimson Peak, stay away from Crimson Peak. And yet there are things in, in motion. There's something odd about the way Thomas Sharp is treating her and especially odd about the relationship with his sister. So the horror of this movie has to do a lot with suggestion for much of the film. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. It's sort of. It's kind of a classical horror film done in a contemporary way, and then it gets more horrific as the story progresses. But that's kind of the the, the basic overview. I, don't, I won't I won't spoil it any further for any of you who are thinking about seeing it. Indeed, um, indeed. But um, I went into this movie with very low expectations because I saw that it didn't start out very strong in the uh, IMDb ratings department. It did not. And it just gets weaker and weaker as each day progresses. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah. I, I didn't really... <laughs> this, was, this was Andrew's pick uh, this week for, uh, for the new film. True. Um, and so I thought, I, I was like, okay, we'll just, we'll just see what Crimson Peak has to offer. I, overall, I did like the film, though. And I liked it because it it has a slow build, but when it actually does get very horrific at around the the time of the climax, when there's yep, there's yep. all sorts of you know gore and and frightening murders and 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 really like when Del Toro unleashes the horror, which he kind of keeps in a bottle and. Let's a little bit trickle out for the whole film. Yes. When he finally brings the plot to a boil, it comes to a satisfying close. But my comment about how he's been brushing up on his film history comes from the fact that I think he's referencing a lot of different movies in this movie. Um, uh-huh. But there's two in particular that I picked up on that he is very liberally borrowing from which would be the next step from referencing. Well, which two films would you think that those are? Because I can think of a couple, and I can think of a couple of other sort of wayward references. Well, um, the only wayward reference that I picked up on was The Shining, uh, because the whole idea of the house as being an evil place, but there were two things in particular that are from lifted from The Shining. One is when Edith uh, goes into the bathroom and uh, a ghost steps out of the tub and walks towards the camera in a very yes, in a, in yes. a composed in a very symmetrical Kubrickian fashion. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is when she's playing uh, with the little dog, she's playing with a ball, 
and she rolls the ball across the floor, yeah, and then yeah. the ball comes back by itself, and it's exactly the same composition as with, with Danny in the Overlook Hotel. Yes, yeah, I would say that those are definitely some references that are there, and there are certainly... It's certainly done in the style of some films that came even long before The Shining existed as a book or a film. Uh-huh. Um, the Haunting uh, yeah. comes to mind as sort of, uh, you know, which is a, a famous film from the 60s that uh, is a, a, an incredibly effective horror film with basically nothing but soundscapes and mm-hmm. a little bit of visual trickery, but no obvious ghosts, no gore, no right. monsters, none of that stuff. Um, it's just a spooky house. Um, the house on Haunted Hill as well, although that's a little less mm-hmm. skillful, I think. Yeah. Um, well, I'm happy to say that the two films that I was thinking of were not either one of those. Ooh. Uh, I found the film borrowed a large chunk of its story from Hitchcock's Rebecca. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, and, yeah. and it only the only substitution was... In the film, Rebecca, the the creepy woman who's attached to the dashing, wealthy man played by Laurence Olivier, uh, is she is his housekeeper. Yes. But in this film, just substitute that for being brother and sister. Yeah, and for all intents and purposes, she is the housekeeper for the house. Yeah, and um, as in Rebecca, there is a a woman who I believe was played by Joan Fontaine in that film, who uh-huh. who falls in love with a man who's out of her league class wise um, and and she realizes that she's uh, her husband is keeping something from her basically yes a deadly secret and it's the tone not just the characters in the plot but the kind of restrained tone of Rebecca that I think was a major influence on Crimson Peak the other film is Rosemary's Baby yeah, I could I could see that. Although I think that this is a lot more. Um, I could see that in the kind of melodrama of this film. She's being slowly poisoned by people who, yeah. who she believes she can trust. Yeah, she can't trust them. Yes, and her her yes. her husband is not on her side. You know, look at mm-hmm. look at uh, uh, Lady Lucille as Ruth Gordon, the the, the neighbor, yeah. Rosemary's baby, yeah. um, and then she, you know, it's. Uh, I feel like this movie is borrowing from many different sources and cobbling together a, something new and different. And um, it's not a great film, but if you if you like the genre, if you like ghost stories, I think this would be a pretty good film. It's not great. Yeah, it has the same problem that I find when Guillermo del Toro has misses which he has occasionally he has when he hits big he hits big when he misses he misses really big and um i think i would characterize much of this film as a miss Mm -hmm. but as you say it kind of manages to really enthrall by the end yeah right the the resolution is very compelling uh for the most part but i think that del toro has a great love for these influences uh-huh. that there are upon him but his love and this is sort of the same thing that i felt about pacific rim uh kind of the same thing that i felt about hellboy um his love borders on or just 
goes outright into fanboyism, mm-hmm. and in doing so, doesn't retain the wonderful things about the things that he loves. So he's going through the motions, mm-hmm. and he's doing the actions that appear to be what was done in the films that he is aping, but it's without the heart or the soul. So it's like the the visual, the visuals. He's he's a he's a master stylist visually, uh-huh. right? He creates wonderful, rich, incredible worlds that you don't soon forget, right? Uh-huh. Um, but I don't feel that the like the the dialogue in this was so stilted. The performances were really bizarre. I found, um, especially Jessica Chastain's, not just because her character was bizarre. It's actually I I would classify it as the worst performance I've seen Jessica Chastain give on film. Well, and well, let's let's pause there for a second. You, yeah. you don't feel like her performance was out of step, or you or like was it? Uh, you don't think that it was like intentionally, you know. Over the top, or what? What was it about the performance? Well, no, it, it wasn't that it was over the top. It's that it was it was a caricature. It wasn't a character. It was, it was doing exactly what the script needed it to do at any given time. But it didn't feel like there was like a whole complete individual there. Mm. Um, and the and the the rapidity with which she went from zero to eleven was astonishing and weird and 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 it didn't seem to be organic it just seemed to be weird for the sake of being weird and creepy but when things like that would happen i mean the audience that i was sitting with laughed well that's you know you're, i mean people were laughing hysterically i feel like this happens every time you see a horror movie in a new york theater <laughs> people are laughing is that always Not every is time. that always the best gauge of, a, of the success of a horror film I don't think that happens every time. I mean, it follows, which is my favorite horror film that I've seen this year. Uh, nobody was laughing. Everybody was f- totally creeped out. Mm. Um, also, I usually tend to go when there's nobody in the theater, but this time I went and it was completely sold out. Yeah. So you know, um, it's a slightly different situation, but it's not a matter of whether they laugh or not. I've often gone to films where people are laughing. I went to see The Exorcism. I mean, sorry, uh, The Exorcist. A couple of years ago, uh, at a local theater here, and people were laughing hysterically at all the terrifying things, and I, I couldn't get behind that. I, I was like, "No, this is terrifying, right?" Yeah. But in this film, when people would laugh hysterically, I would go, "Yep, they are correct. That's dumb. That's silly. That's weird." Um, and I, I think defenders of del toro would probably say that it's intentional that he rides the line between the comic and the the terrifying Uh fairly well but i actually don't think that he does i think when he's being deadly serious it's good when i think he tries to be funny i think it it fails Mm. if if that's even what he's trying to do and in this case i don't think it was i don't think there's anything in this film that's really meant to be very funny yeah, I can't think of anything either. Um, I don't know. The only reason that I kind of don't rag on this movie as much is is because I felt like the ends justified the means. Uh, when it, when it was all said and done, I kind of thought, oh yeah. I mean, as I often do when I watch a film, I'll I'll judge it as I'm watching it. 
Yeah. It'll be yeah. like, okay, this movie is boring or this movie is blah, 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 whatever. I don't like this movie. I don't like this movie. And then something good will happen. I'll be like, huh. And then when it's over, because of the recency of the good things that happened, that's what I'll remember the most. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, that was a good movie. I think a lot of people watch movies like that, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I completely agree with that. But I don't. I don't forget and I don't forgive. <laughs> um, no, like I, I try to take the movie as a whole, right? Even if there were some good elements, this is one of the, uh, one of my big gripes about uh, a lot of films is that people oftentimes mistake the premise for the execution of that premise, right? So I always got frustrated that people really like seven because I think it's a terrible movie. Um, I disagree. Although I, I know that you disagree, and I should revisit it because I've been saying this for years, and I haven't watched it in probably over a decade. It's actually eight now. It's been like twenty years. Oh, really? <laughs> it it became eight. Um. So, uh, but one of the things that bothered me so much about it was the fact that I felt like people loved the idea of it. Right, this cool idea that there's a serial killer who was killing people according to the seven deadly sins, and they had to stop him. Yeah. Right. Like, that was cool. It was a cool idea. And they were so in love with the idea, they couldn't tell that the script was a garbage script, which I still think it is. Uh-huh. Um, and I I understand that, like, ideas can be cool and can drive a film forward, but they can only take it so far. If the execution of the idea falls short, then it isn't a great movie, right? Uh-huh. So that's what I think kind of happens here. I think it's a great attempt at making a, a, a sort of haunted house movie for the ages, but it just kind of doesn't quite ever get there. You know, it's supposed to be like the sort of grand guignol tradition, right? Uh-huh. Um, but, at, you know, at this point in time, I'd rather be watching Penny Dreadful on Showtime than, than this, Maybe. which I think does a better job of being that sort of melodramatic, you know, gore fest right yeah i mean maybe you'd rather be in the grand marnier tradition <laughs> you're just gonna pick out things with the word grand grand, grand guignol grand marnier <laughs> yep no i get it um i mean i get it insofar as there's something to get there <laughs> good good <laughs> uh yeah it's uh like I admire Del Toro and I admire his craft and I admire even the things in the films that I don't like. I admire what he's doing. Uh, Pacific Rim, I can't stand. But then you look at the kaiju designs in that film and you're like, well, those are pretty awesome. Um, whereas movies like The Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth, which are, of course, excellent films. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Devil's Backbone being my favorite um, of all of his films. Uh and those are there's something more to them. There's something more human in them and less melodramatic. I don't know whether it's because he's working in English versus uh working in Spanish. Mm. Um but something in his Spanish films seems to work better than his English language films. Yeah. Um I guess that that makes sense, you know? I mean, his yeah. native tongue. But, uh, yeah, I think Del Toro could have made a great movie here. Uh, but it's, this isn't a great movie. I mean, he's capable of making 
a movie that transcends the other films that he's borrowing from. But this film, yeah, I, see, yeah. I see this film as one great big homage uh, to the films that we mentioned and then also to, to other films too. Uh, it's a, it's almost like, like, like Tarantino borrows from many different sources and then creates something new uh, with his films. I feel right, like right. this borrows and borrows and references, but doesn't create anything new. Uh, it's just uh, it's just diverting. It's a it's a yeah. it's it, it's a decent entertainment. And uh, Pan's Labyrinth is I think is is a, a a great film for the ages. Devil's Backbone I have yet to see, but uh, Crimson Peak I think is it seems a little bit lazy. Known known knowing what his gifts are as a filmmaker, uh, yeah. I feel like. He's capable of doing better work than this. Yeah, I felt the same way about Pacific Rim as well. I feel like he's, I feel like he's doing the things that he wants to do, but I feel like he isn't carrying them through to the end. Any filmmaker who lists Sunrise as one of his favorite films of all time, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is a serious fucking filmmaker, man. I, you know, I brah. I know, brah. There's a fantastic uh, series on El Rey Network, which is Robert Rodriguez's network. It's called The Director's Chair, and it's one where Robert Rodriguez himself sits down with a bunch of directors and just talks to them about their movies and their style. It's uh, it's great. Yeah. And there's like a two there's a two episode uh bridge with uh Quentin Tarantino where he and Quentin Tarantino are just shooting the shit and talking about his movies. And there's one on Del Toro. And the one that I watched with Del Toro, like there's absolutely no question that he is brilliant uh-huh. as a filmmaker and that he and that he absorbs like the in, the entirety of film history you know he's got a great sense of of everything um and and watching his films that's absolutely clear yeah. he's a, he's he has a very assured hand you never feel like he's doubting himself or doesn't know what he's doing he's very much in control and i must say that i was very glad to watch this entire film and see that it was all on tripods or dollies uh-huh. Not a handheld shot in this entire movie. It made me so happy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I, I just, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's one of those things where you just, you can see him doing good work, but knowing that he can do so much better. Yeah. Um, it's a little disappointing. Yeah. I, I actually think that he was going for an homage. I think that's what he really set out to do. Like this is this movie is going to yeah. feature all the kinds of things that I liked from from ghost or ghost stories that I grew up watching, uh, but yet he didn't he didn't put his own stamp on it. He didn't put his own flourish on it. Um, and uh, if he didn't have a batshit crazy climax, I would have been really upset. Yeah, and and a wonderfully atmospheric climax too that that sort of incorporated a lot of his hallmarks, like a lot of great set pieces and backgrounds i mean like the whole thing happened the the climax of the film happens in the fog with all of these mining machines yeah like, just sort of like emerging from the fog it's a really cool thing and and that's not something that i will soon forget um i just wish the first hour and a half of it had been as compelling as the last half hour was yeah that's that's um, well put actually it because because that last half hour is really a lot of fun yeah um, but that's, that's not to say that I, I didn't enjoy it. I would, I would say that this is somewhere in the middle of the pack 
for for uh, Del Toro. It's no, you know, it's not Blade Two on the one end, and it's not Devil's Backbone on the other end. Um, Blade Two being the terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for clarifying. De- Devil's Backbone being the great. Um, so it, it falls somewhere in the middle of the pack for him, uh, but it is assuredly a Del Toro film, and it feels like it, and it looks like it. And uh, it's worth watching. I think I just well, you say that it looks like it. Well, I would say yeah. The the production design and the photography, you know, look it. Yeah. But it doesn't have the same kind of directorial flourish that you get from watching Pan's Labyrinth. Like it just kind of seems like I agree. My my one of my favorite sayings about directors is when a director dies, they become a cinematographer. <laughs> All they can pay yeah. attention to is just the visuals, what they've shot. And yeah. I feel like this film, it's all visuals for the most part. And it doesn't have like the, the, well, so, I don't know, the story, the, or the, the, or the twist or the, or, or the, like the boyish wonder that, yeah, that is previous films did. Yeah, I can see that. And I, and I do think that the, the even the even the visuals at times suffer from being either too ostentatious, see almost all the costumes, uh-huh. or being uh, under designed. I felt like the like the ghosts in this were not very interesting for somebody who has done such a great job of designing creatures in the past i felt like the ghosts in this were like busy messes of cg and wispy cg smoke like i just felt like they were really busy and hard to decipher and not i mean obviously a ghost might be hard to decipher <laughs> i thought i disagree with you on that point i think the ghosts were were pretty interesting i mean there was not much of them in the film which i which mm-hmm. was probably his intention but i there's one image from this film that will definitely stay with me and uh, folks, if you want to save yourself two hours, this image is also in the trailer. <laughs> but it's the the shot of the the ghost that's kind of like coming out of the floor and crawling down yeah, the hall. It's yeah. like a rib cage and an arm, and of course it's CG. Okay, I am no no special effect is going to adequately convince me that there's actually a ghost there. Okay, I know <laughs> that it's freaking fake, but it's still enjoyable. I still liked it. And it's a different kind of a ghost than we've seen, or at least that I've seen in other films. Yeah. Yeah. I was also sitting in the second row of the theater, so that might not have helped. <laughs> Did that act? Oh, yeah. We got there. We got there five minutes before it started, and there were only like four seats left in the entire auditorium. How many? What was your party? Like two. two? Oh, was it a yeah. girl? It was not. Oh, beware of Crimson Peak. um yeah so i mean obviously two rows back it's hard to focus on any one thing at once that's Um, a horrible way to watch a movie it's a horrible way to watch any movie so uh i watched avatar in imax 3d from the second row wow that was the most painful experience of my life (laughs) jesus (laughs) i saw titanic in the front row but that wasn't even imax yeah, well, that was pretty bad. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. So that is our episode on Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak. Uh, I was not a big fan of it. I think that it's fun, and I do think that it wraps up really well. 
Um, so it ends up being pretty exciting. For Halloween Fair, I, I'd say it's worth going to see in the theater. Um, but uh, this is not... It didn't impress me in the way that uh, really, really great horror films have impressed me in the past. Yeah, um, I kind of I think I echo your sentiment for the most part. If you if you if you guys out there, you kiddies, are looking for a Halloween movie to watch, uh, maybe delve into the your parents' DVD library and or have them, have <laughs> them pick out a movie for you, you know, to, to mm-hmm. watch mm-hmm. Uh, because you know th- there's better stuff out there. Anyway, uh, so stay tuned for our next episode. Uh, it's going to be a special event. We're going to have another filmmaker on. This time it's going to be Mara Strauch, the director of the very popular new documentary Sunshine Superman. Mm-hmm. She will be on the program to join us, and we're super excited, so we hope you can tune in for that. <laughs>